Mark chapter 11 is where we're going to be today. Today is what is traditionally called Palm Sunday. And what that means is that today is the day where we acknowledge the time in history where Jesus was walking into Jerusalem during the last week of his life. And of course, next Sunday is Easter Sunday where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is going to be an awesome day. And I hope all of you are going to be here and you're going to bring people. It's going to be a good day, day of celebration. And um, so on this Palm Sunday... What we want to think about is uh, this, this moment in history called the triumphal entry. Mark chapter 11 talks about it. And, um, and so Mark chapter 11, Andrew read it. It's the story of when Jesus says, go into a village, get a donkey, bring it back, and he's going to ride this donkey into Jerusalem. And it's incredible because in Mark chapter 11, people are before him and behind him praising him and declaring that this is a king. Now, wrap your mind around this. This is seven days, actually less than seven days, before that he's crucified alone. But here, at the beginning of this very important week, he is entering into Jerusalem. He is, people are acknowledging, Hosanna, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. They're worshiping. So this is incredible. Well, so a lot has happened, and we're in this series, very short series called Who is Jesus? A lot has happened leading up to this moment. And so what I want to spend some time, before we talk about Mark chapter 11 and specifically that story, I want to spend some time sort of recognizing uh, what Jesus did in the later part of his life um, to introduce people to the kingdom of God. So in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, we read the very first, according to Mark, words of Jesus are this. Mark chapter 1, verse 14, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, which is what we do. We proclaim the gospel, meaning good news of God. This is what Jesus says in verse 15. The time is fulfilled. So this is his first public words in Mark's gospel. The time is fulfilled and the coming of the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. What is the kingdom of God? He's saying God is going to work in a new way. No longer will darkness rule and reign, but God is establishing his rule and his reign. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. So you can get into what God is doing by, through repentance and faith and who I am as Jesus. Now this moment in history is huge. Huge. We cannot say enough about how big it is. It's as if this group of people have been in prison for a really, really long time. They're stepping outside of those prison walls with hope. Raise your hand if you've ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption. Okay, if you haven't, it's a general rebuke. You need to go watch it. <laughs> the movie Shawshank Redemption, one of the greatest movies of all time. It's a story of a banker convicted of a double homicide. Uh, his name is Andy. He's played by Tim Robbins. He maintains his innocence and because he was and... He's in prison for 19 years, and eventually when the report comes out or there becomes evidence that he actually is incident, the warden doesn't want him to be freed because he's involved, Andy, in some illegal activity that the warden's making a lot of money on. Well, in prison, Andy uh, makes a friendship 
a quite unlikely bond with a fellow convict named Red, played by Morgan Freeman. So it's an incredible movie, and I don't have time to talk all about it, but there's this scene that popped in my mind as I was considering what it must have been like for those people to hear Jesus say, the time is at hand, the the kingdom is here, now's the time, something unique and different and special is happening. In the movie, Morgan Freeman, some time after... Andy uh, or Tim Robbins is released from prison. Morgan Freeman, called Red, has been released after something like 40 years in prison. He's been let out. He's considering what lies ahead, and he says these words. I find that I'm so excited that I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at a start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. Do you remember the scene? Then he goes and eventually meets Andy on a beach in Mexico. The feeling of that moment as you watch the movie is like, yes, freedom. There's a future and a hope. No longer are they imprisoned. They've chosen to start living. I imagine that this is what we ought to feel like when we read these words that Jesus has come, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And it's very special to us because this idea of the kingdom is so unique. And there are some distinctives about the kingdom that I would like to talk to you about. We read about Jesus and the way of the kingdom throughout his life. Three, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you three distinctives of the kingdom and why it ought to like take our breaths away. It's so beautiful and so powerful and to be a part of it would be significant and, and really something worth living for. And then at the end, what I want to suggest to you is one main way you can involve yourself in God's kingdom work here on earth. And the main idea, you can take notes, tweet this, whatever you want, is this. I'm going to charge you, challenge you to be a donkey. That's right, I said it, be a donkey. Write it down. That's where we're going. Three distinctive realities about the kingdom in the ministry and life of Jesus. I want to talk about these and I want you to think about where you can see these all around you. First of all, the marginalized are prioritized. The marginalized are prioritized. In the kingdom of God, people that are in the margins become priority. Now, in the first century, the people that were in the margins were poor people, sick people, children, women. People that the larger society said could not offer or contribute to the good of society, the advance of society, were left in the margins, ignored, ostracized. Sick sick people, if they were sick enough, they not only were in the margins theoretically, but they were in the margins literally. They were pushed out of the community into their own communities. But in the kingdom of God, this thing that Jesus brings, the marginalized are prioritized. And this is fantastic because we see it all over the Gospels. So there's a story um, where 
Jesus is teaching. And uh, there's a few men, and they have a friend who's paralyzed. And we read that, um, that, that the house in which Jesus is teaching is filled, and that these men who are a friend of the paralyzed man, certainly someone that would have been marginalized, are trying to get this paralyzed man to Jesus. But they're unable to do so because the house is crowded and there's no way to get him to Jesus. And at this point in his public ministry, he's very popular, lots of people around him. The word is getting out that Jesus and the kingdom comes in power and people are getting healed. And so what these men do is, according to the Bible, is this. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus to be healed. But finding no one to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof, made a hole, and they let him down with the bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. I mean, this is incredible. And when Jesus saw their faith, he looks at the paralyzed man who has come to them for to be healed physically, and he goes right to the spiritual, and he says, Man, your sins are forgiven. Of course, the religious people are there because they're trying to check out Jesus. And they begin questioning Jesus. Who are you to try to forgive this man's sins? Jesus says, well, which is easier? Sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? And then he looks at the man and he says, rise up and walk. And he heals this man. Now, this is mind-boggling. There was a lot of respect for rabbis. And certainly people wanted to be around them, but to interrupt a rabbi teaching, to tear up somebody's home to get them to Jesus, I mean, it was unbelievable. But Jesus stopped in the midst of all this popularity, and in the, in the midst of probably his sermon or his exposition of some Old Testament passage, he stopped and he recognized this one who was certainly marginalized in that society, and he acknowledges them, he cares for them spiritually, and then he cares for them physically. In the kingdom of God, the marginalized are prioritized. This is what God is doing. The blind can see. The women are given a place. The children are valued. Anyone that's an outcast is brought into the kingdom of God. And we see in the Bible that God has a special place in His heart for those that are in the margins. That's important that you know. It really is. We could be doing church in a certain way and forget that God's heart is for people that are in the margins. In our day... People that are in the margins are those that are underserved and underprivileged. The children, like many of the children that are in this school, which is one reason we meet here. It's one reason we care so deeply about the needs of the children in the school because we believe that we get to be a part of introducing them to the way of the kingdom, the way of Christ. People that are in the margins in our society are the countless number of men and women involved in the sex slave industry. Houston is a hub in the United States. People that are in the margins in our city are those that are hungry, living on the streets, the single mother who needs help, the immigrant, and this is probably the fastest growing people who are in the margins in our society, the people that are easy to ignore and hard to help. It's the immigrant who comes to America from work, not just from Mexico, but from all over the world, and is struggling to survive. That is Houston. That's who is in our margins. 
people in our city that are in the margins are those whose daily choices leave them as an outcast to the church. They're comfortable to be around. These are the kinds of people that Jesus welcomes into the kingdom. People that are too easily forgotten or ignored or passed by. Jesus stops for those and we will too. When you see the marginalized being prioritized, this is where you'll find the kingdom of God. And it is happening in our city. It's happening through our church and through some of you. And what we ought to know is that in the kingdom of God, the good news is for everybody. We also see in the kingdom of God a second point. That God looks into the heart. This is so important. It's simple, but it's so important. When Jesus showed up, there was a lot of religion. A lot of religious activity. A lot of religious behavior. But what we know from Jesus... Talking in the Gospels is that God cares about what's in people's hearts far more than He is fooled by what's going on on the outside, religious activity. Now when I say heart and I point to here, you know what I mean. It's the part of your brain actually. You don't think with that little thing beating inside of you. I know it's hard to imagine that I'm not a doctor, but I do know this. It's the part of your brain that feels things deeply, that has conviction, discernment, intuits. The part that wakes you up, the part that propels you forward, the part that brings tears to your eyes. God looks to this in you far more than he looks to our religious behaviors and our religious outward activity. Some might think that it is just enough to look religious by going to church. But what God wants is heart change. When God establishes the kingdom, hearts, people, people's hearts begin to change. When Jesus was dealing with the religious leaders, it was so really incredible how he spoke so firmly to them. In fact, it's in the Gospels, really the only time that we hear Jesus saying things or read things that feel strong or abrasive is when he's talking to religious leaders, people that appear religious and even teach religion but are on the inside dead. They exhibited themselves as righteous on the account of being keepers of the law but in fact they were unrighteous because they had a secret ungodly heart. Like in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, Jesus speaking to this group, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite is? It's a word that in that day would have been familiar to those that were familiar with the arts. And a hypocrite came from a word that meant like a mask. A mask for acting. He's saying, Woe to you that are wearing the mask that makes you look religious. For you are like whitewashed tombs, outwardly appearing beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So in the kingdom, we know that God cares about what's happening in our hearts. We can't fake religion or faith or relationship with God. We can't fake it to Him. And eventually, over time, we will be exposed. The Hebrews says, everything is uncovered and laid bare before Him to whom we must give an account. God looks to our hearts. We get to live from our hearts in the kingdom of God. The third thing that's true of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God comes in power. This is my favorite one. This is more than just an idea in the natural. 
This is something happening in the supernatural. When Jesus shows up, God is going to work through His Spirit powerfully. There are going to be supernatural things happening. In Jesus' lifetime, it was demonstrated by His authority and power over natural things like a storm on a lake. Or by someone who's sick being healed, the blind being able to see. By someone who's possessed by a demon, uh, having that demon cast out. That, those things happen at the hands of Jesus and the hands of those that were his very first followers. But far more significant, when I talk about the kingdom of God being something that God is bringing through Jesus and it being in power, far more significant is when we read and see stories when people that are dead spiritually become alive, like the tax collector. Do you know the story of the tax collector? Luke chapter 19. Do you have your Bible? Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. A tax collector, he was a Jewish person who worked on behalf of the Roman government. So he was a Jew cheating Jews on behalf of the enemy, the Romans. And so he would levy a tax on behalf of the Romans, and he would multiply that tax because he had a lot of power. He was hated. Tax collectors were hated. He was like the pagan, the outcast, the sinner... Jesus shows up. The word gets out about him coming. This tax collector named Jesus, verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. He was a wee little man. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree for he's about to pass. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. We can't miss how incredible it is to talk about the kingdom of God coming in power to rescue dead people, spiritually dead people, sinners, outcasts. And when Jesus does stuff like this, he's in a crowd of people, he notices maybe the chief of sinners, and he says, I want to spend time with you. I mean, that's incredible. So Zacchaeus comes down, rejoiced the opportunity to be with Jesus. Of course, the religious people are grumbling how he's spending time with the sinner. You ever had that? <laughs> I get it all the time. <laughs> Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and what I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And what we see here is a heart of repentance, of turning away from that way that was sin and um, debauchery and cheating and lying. The kingdom of God comes in power. When Jesus shows up, wicked people become righteous people. Spiritually dead become alive in Christ. Some of you are there. Some of you recognize that. You know that you were dead spiritually and you heard that God sent Jesus introducing the world to a new way, the kingdom of God, the power of God in the world to reconcile people to himself. No longer do we have to be enemies of the king, but we can be friends to the king. We can be at peace with the king of the kingdom through Jesus Christ. That comes in power. The most powerful things I see around me today is when I hear from you stories of how you used to chase after the things of the world, but now want to, with everything in you, chase after Jesus. When I hear a story by a man by the name of Sergio, I think about that would have never, ever happened Unless this kingdom that we are invited into is a kingdom of power, of rescue. 
So with all of that, what I want you to think about is where do you see that in your own life? Where do you see that around you? Where do you see God working? Where do you see this kingdom being established around you? In your heart? Do you feel heart change? Is that a kingdom being established in your heart? Are you seeing it around you? Do you see places where the unjust is being um, ministered to so that there's justice? Do you see brokenness being restored? Those are the places in a world where God is working. Where does God need to work around you? What in the city does God want to send you into to be a part of establishing His kingdom? For us as a church, I believe it's supporting the larger work of church planting. That's what we're about. That's what we care about. Not only in this city, but in other major cities in the United States and major cities in the world. But for you as an individual, where in the city do you see God using you to establish His kingdom? Do you have a heart for the underserved, underprivileged children of this school? Or the underserved, underprivileged children in a community? Does it stir your heart when you think about this major issue in our city of the slave trade, sex slave trade? What stirs your heart? Maybe there's someone at your job who you know that God wants to establish His rule and reign in their life and you get to be a part of it. Where is it? I don't know what it is specifically for each one of you, although I'd be happy to help you flesh that out and talk to you about that. But I do know that there's one way that all of us are invited into this work of God to establish His kingdom. We get to be the donkey. Mark chapter 11. And I'm going to make this point and be done. Verse 4, And they went away and found a colt donkey tied at a door outside the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing around there said to him, What are you doing? And tying the colt. And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let him go. They brought this donkey to Jesus, and they threw cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus is walking into Jerusalem on a donkey. Or riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. People are welcoming him. They begin to lay down palm branches and coats. Now just for a moment, think about what that donkey might have been thinking about. Now, you're going to have to be real creative. I I get it. Here's the donkey, having never been ridden before. His first journey with someone on him, people are cheering for him. People are acknowledging him. He doesn't even have to walk on dirt. He gets to walk on palm branches. And then when those run out, coats. I wonder if for a moment, this is being creative and for the sake of the sermon, I wonder if for a moment that donkey thought it was about him. It ain't about the donkey. But the donkey gets to carry people in, gets to carry Jesus to people. God is establishing His kingdom. When Jesus came and said, the kingdom 
of God is at hand. It required him to take this journey to the cross to be crucified, three days later to be raised from the dead, which we'll celebrate next week. And all along the way, people get to be a part of it. People are invited in, and then in this very special moment, this donkey is carrying Jesus to where he needs to go. So on this Palm Sunday, here's what I want you to do. Be the donkey. It ain't about you. This is the most popular gospel pre- being, or message being preached in churches today. It's like, it's about you. It's about you being happy. It's about you being comfortable. It's about you being rich. That's all a lie. It ain't about you. It's about Jesus. But we get to be a part of it. We get to bring Jesus to the places that He wants to establish His kingdom. Are you all with me? Where is that for you? Be the donkey.